welcome to What. It is the part documentary, part competition podcast where my friend Chelsea and I tell each other amazing stories and then decide who done did it best. My name's Ellie Main, and as I just said, this is Chelsea Harfouche. It's me. Uh, I was really hoping you were going to ask me, how are you today, Chelsea? So oh, I could say, Chelsea, how, yeah, I usually go, Chelsea, how are you living? Um, uh, not drunk enough. I've just decided in this moment that I would like to be very drunk. Mm. I think it's cold out Is that because of, of me? Oh, okay. No! <laughs> Because talking and just at the moment, I was like, "Wow, that was a really chipper intro," and I hated it. No, <laughs> well, I only have this like way too sweet neon margarita. I was gonna say I've been admiring it because it's like it's like it's not even blood red; it's like lava red. Yeah, it's the the floor is lava. Don't even start talking about my favorite show. Floor is lava. The drink is lava. See how silent it is. Not even a cube of ice. Not even one ice. I know. Not I even thought about getting ice. you for Christmas those like big ice cubes. Oh, just like the big, just the one. So the, yeah, so that you only have one. I like that. Hold on one second while I check this real quick. So I'm worried it's going to make sound it's the- before I can turn it off. Okay. <laughs> Seemingly random sounds. <laughs> okay. It's really, it's just more an impo- important point that you're going to be so excited to hear. So In my brain, I- it just cut to you playing as like a Spotify album of sound effects. <laughs> I have some really terrible ones on my computer that uh, Connor made me download. Because uh, I was looking for sound effects for my job in like a licensed sound effects library. And then he kept being like, look up Yeehaw. And I was like, I don't need that. And he's I like, well, just wish- look it up and see if there is one. I'm like, well, I'm sure there is one. And he's like, well, just look it up. I want to hear it. We'll just... But just check it out, though. And then I found one that I sent. I sent to Celia, friend of the pod, Celia. I found one that was just like a woman, and it was like different kinds of ooze. And so it was, it was like a forty-five second wave file, and it was just, ooh, ooh. <laughs> uh, I think ooh. I've seen that one. And then ooh. you have the ah ah oh. Oh. Wasn't there like <laughs> there was something that I was editing once, maybe in college, and Sid and I. <laughs> decided to try and hide the sound over and over and over again just the same sound effect in the in the audio of the film and I wish I could remember more what it was but it got to the point where you and you have like one of those film school all-night editing nights yeah and you're just hysterical (laughs) and so any time that either of us would hide it we just like we couldn't work for 10 minutes we were dying (laughs) that's very good well I didn't come here to talk about sign effects. I came here to tell you some really exciting news, which is that after like much speculation and I think maybe an Onion article, uh, mm-hmm. Netflix finally done did it. I don't know if you've noticed this. Netflix, what did they done do? Now they have this little timer button at the bottom of like the UI because you can now watch your shows in double speed if you want to. Because you have so much content to get through, you can just watch your shows faster, which is psychotic. But here's the cool thing. You can also watch them slower. You can watch them on half speed. And this speaks to me because I think as I've told you, Ellie, over the course of this week, The Floor is Lava has become my new like smooth brain meditation. I put it on (laughs) and like no thoughts. I have no thoughts. I've never been able to meditate in my entire life. For those of you that don't know, The Floor is Lava is um, exactly what it sounds like. Oh, it's It's one of those active contact game shows where people have to cross a room because the floor is lava. It's like Crystal Maze, but just one game. Yeah, and we all know what Crystal Maze is. And you... (laughs) 
<laughs> you should. I'm obsessed with the show. I found out like there was no studio in like Hollywood that would allow them to film the show there because they were so worried about like the liability of like the lava because it's not just water. I thought, I thought Ellie, maybe this is my topic. I thought the water was, the, the, the lava was just water with like red and orange food coloring. Apparently it's like a proprietary like mixture so that it can be viscous like lava. It's like slime. And like, they won't tell anybody how they make this lava. And so every studio, they were like, hey, we have this secret lava stuff we make and we want to fill a room with it. And like maybe several rooms. And every studio was like, no. So apparently the show is filmed in an abandoned Ikea. And like every room exists simultaneously. They don't break it up and build it down. It's just, there's an Ikea. There's an Ikea somewhere in Southern California that just has eight like floors lava rooms in it full of lava. That is the fact bang. That's the fact bang. Also, my other favorite thing about Flores Lava, this is the one time I do have thought, is uh-huh. that it's hosted by this guy, I think his name's like Rutledge Moore, and he was, he's like a very like, I don't know, D-E-list sports commentator, celebrity type guy. He was on like, he was on two seasons of the American version of Top Gear. Like that's the level of like fame that he is. Okay. But every episode, and he's not on screen ever. Like he's not an on-screen commentator. It's just his voice. But every episode when he's saying like, you know, the rules of the stuff, he goes, the winner of Flores Lava will receive this Flores Lava trophy, $10,000. And they get to meet me, Rutledge Moore. And I'm like, this has to be a joke, right? But also like, is he in on the joke? Or was it like in his contract that like he gets to announce that they get to meet him, Rutledge Moore? <laughs> like it's in his writer. Yes. When they were neg- like his agent was negotiating his position. He was like, so um, that's one of the prizes. Yeah. Actually. And they're like. And they're like, no, that's stupid. No one cares about that. And then he's like, no, though, that's one of the prizes or Mr. Moore walks. And they're like, well, it doesn't cost us anything. So I, I mean. I, okay. Do you don't want just like more money or like they're like, no. Uh-uh. Then you get to nope. meet them. Rutledge Moore. So uh, it is my favorite part. That's fantastic. And thank you for bringing, I had a fact bang and I'm going to kick it to next week. So yeah. So you're welcome, America. You can now watch Flora's Lava at half speed so that you get more lava. Yeah. I mean, consider as a sensory experience doing that in the background of listening to this show. That's a lot. That makes me emotional a little bit. (laughs) I'm upset. I'm a little bit emotional. Chelsea, tell me the title of your topic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just like so in love with my topic. I've been laughing about it all day and I'm very happy. Okay. (laughs) Which is not, you know, always my vibe. Sure. And my topic is guard that goat. (laughs) (laughs) Guard guard the goat. Guard that goat. You do have to guard that. Is the voice part of it? Um, kind of. Well, this and this is a minor hint, but uh, do you know how to do a Swedish accent? Uh, only like the hurdy-gurdy. You know, I'm trying to think like guard the goat. I mean, I I can't, but like whatever okay. it would sound like. Guard the um, goat. That sound of music song immediately comes to mind. The sound of music comes to mind. High on a hill was a lonely goat. A is that anything? Like yodel. I can't. But no, it's not about yodeling or sound of music, but it's guard the god. Something about goats in Sweden. Yes. Is it an event? Like a weird, one of those weird European events? Kind of, about yeah. goats? Yeah, kind of. Oh! 
complete guess. I don't want to know anymore. I want to know. Okay. What about you, it's Melanor. <laughs> On the polar opposite end of tone. Oh no. Um, we have America's longest war. Oh dear. Is it the Hundred Years' War? No. Oh. Um, is it the Cold War? No. Is it an actual war? Yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. Well, shit. Is it? Mostly no. Is it racism? There's, I mean, always. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll admit, I kind of stacked the deck in my favor on that you one. You did. You done did that one. Yeah. Is it Hearts War? That movie about <laughs> with a with a old old baldy Bruce Willis no. got there. No. Is it Hearts War, the penultimate episode of the one season long show Boot Camp, where like people tried to join the military and it was a reality TV show and they named the last episode Hearts War because the private heart couldn't get over the wall, which I remember from when I was like eight. Is it that? No. Mm-mm, no. Fuck, Ellie! <laughs> so i think you're going to enjoy this one because i know that you like to let off steam in the discussion of politics you get amped i love to learn i love to enjoy things i love to be mad you love you love to be mad but on behalf of others which i think is admirable oh thanks yeah i do love to be righteously mad so prepare to be righteously mad because (laughs) oh god it's long been the belief of policymakers that it's the role of government to ensure the general health of the public in order to head off some kind of moral hazard. It's a widely spread social belief as well. Obviously, there are groups of people, uh, especially now, who don't believe it's the role of government to do absolutely anything. (laughs) There has been woven through any sort of political body or societal body that policymakers' job on some level is to help steer the nation towards moral goodness and rightness and whatever that might be yeah i'm no i totally agree with you and i'm like starting to get really worried about where this is going (laughs) so today i want to talk about the paradox of prohibition as a policy (gasps) yes okay yes (laughs) yes yes do it okay and i'm going to start with the prohibition that we all know hopefully learned about in history but it's also part of it Part of the problem. So the intent of the 18th Amendment was to mitigate poor health due to alcohol consumption, prevent the disintegration of American nuclear family units, and reduce crime and public corruption, and reduce the burden borne by taxpayers to fund the increasing populations of prisons and public poorhouses. That was bundled together, the idea behind the prohibition period of early 20th century America. Mm-hmm. Which, as we know, was a spectacular failure. I mean, it did give us the idea of speakeasies that has allowed, like, you know, hipsters in their mid twenties to feel cool up until right. I was about to say, it gave us that for like I don't know, like a ten year period. Yeah, to give us speakeasies. But yeah, no, horrible failure. Also, I do always love to think like what those kinds of people would think when they saw our prisons like system now. Oh, I was literally okay. Okay, I'm you're so like you're running page. ahead. Of, you're, you're running ahead of me. I'm so, done. I'm done running ahead. Let's talk a little bit about prohibition. Let's talk about it. So, early nineteenth century America. Because uh, it does go back as far as that in the, as an idea in America. Religious revivalists and early teetotaler groups, like the American Temperance Society, campaigned pretty relentlessly against what they saw as a nationwide scourge of drunkenness. 
You gotta stop. Guys, you're being bad. They scored a major victory in 1851 when the Maine legislature passed a statewide prohibition on selling alcohol. So that was Maine outlawed at first in 1851. A dozen other states soon instituted what they called Maine laws, which is the same thing, only to repeal them a few years later after widespread opposition. But calls for a quote-unquote dry America continued into the 1910s when deep-pocketed and politically connected groups such as the Anti-Saloon League and the Women's Christian Temperance Union gained (laughs) widespread support for anti-alcohol legislation on Capitol Hill. Okay. But it was really World War I that sealed the deal. How so? Dry advocates argued that the barley used in brewing beer would be better sent as bread to feed American soldiers and as aid to the war-ravaged areas of Europe. And so they succeeded on winning a wartime ban on alcohol. That's kind of how it started. But then also because of the war, anti-alcohol crusaders were often fueled by German xenophobia. The war allowed them to paint America's largely German brewing industry as a threat. (laughs) A temperance politician argued... uh, We have German enemies in this country too, and the worst of all our German enemies, the most treacherous, the most menacing, are Pabst, Schultz, Blatz, and Miller. (laughs) My God. Can you imagine, like, if TikTok existed at this time, if TikTok existed, like, in World War I, and you had, like, some TikTok influencer that's like, wow, you drink your barley? Well, every barley that you put down your throat could have fed an American soldier, but I guess you don't care about that. Let's talk about how care about the troops. Let's talk about how Pabst is problematic. Okay, a thread. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then, because of all that, prohibition was ratified by the states January 16th, 1919, and officially went into effect on January 17th, 1920. It was such a disaster in so many ways. Obviously, the prohibition of alcohol, something it was that a lot of people wanted, then made it very valuable to criminals, providing tax-free dollars that turned neighborhood street gangs into national crime syndicates headed by the likes of Al Capone and Charles Lucky Luciano. Essentially, it started American organized crime. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, you got to have something that everybody wants. <laughs> Not only did illegal alcohol consumption approximate pre-prohibition levels, so it didn't even work. People were still drinking the same amount of alcohol. The quality control inherent in legal private ma- uh, marketplace did not exist, resulting in wide divergencies in potency and quality. Like hundreds, thousands of Americans every year died from poisoned or tainted alcohol that is like made in someone's bathtub with with mostly medicinal alcohol products. Because alcohol was illegal, it created a bigger market for even more dangerous substances. So consumption of substances like cocaine and opioids massively increased. Because while they had been rendered virtually illegal, they were really not hard to obtain at all. So in essence, the 18th Amendment actually succeeded in increasing two concurrent black markets. Oh, good. So great. Great job. These are some fun statistics about prohibition. So the number of individuals convicted of a federal crime rose from 4,000 to 26,589, which was an increase of 566%. Holy shit. During prohibition, a clear majority of these individuals are not housed in federal prisons, but in state or local facilities, increasing the burden of taxpayers, not only as a function of cost, but community as well. So during this period, federal expenditures on prisoners alone rose some 1000 percent as state and local prisons were like got rid of and massive and bigger facilities built to house prisons. 
Big prisons. Expenditures on policing increased by more than 11%. Cool. There was no easement of the on the on the taxpayer whatsoever in regards to decreasing the prison population because of the large profit margins enjoyed by most organized black market cartels. Public corruption also massively increased. Politicians, policemen, and policymakers were all known to accept bribes and gifts from bootleggers, speakeasy owners, crime laws. Just the whole what a nightmare. The whole thing. Like few people would argue today that alcohol prohibition was a wise policy. Even those who largely oppose alcohol consumption recognize the failure of the 18th Amendment. Right. But unfortunately, so many prohibition-based policies exist today. (laughs) Yes, I'm very excited to hear about this. I don't want to step on any toes, but I'm very interested in these parallels. And that was what I was kind of thinking about as you were talking about it. So go. It's pretty tragic that a current public policy seems to have gathered absolutely nothing from the mistakes of this incredibly well-publicized and often educated in school era of American history. Mm-hmm. And we have gone down almost the exact same path with the prohibition of drugs or the war on drugs, America's longest war. Yes. So in the early 1970s, President Richard Nixon declared a quote-unquote war on drugs in the United States. As a result, state and local authorities, the federal government, and even the U.S. military expanded their efforts to combat illicit drugs. And as a lot of people who still think of the war on drugs or think of it nowadays as something that's pretty benign um, because states are legalizing medicinal marijuana, others are decriminalizing possession. Just in the recent election, loads more states started to um, decriminalize psilocybin or magic mushrooms. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's quite easy to forget that actually the war on drugs and the the drug war continues to have serious consequences that bleed through so many parts of society. In 1980, for example, 580,000 people were arrested on drug-related charges in the United States. By 2014, that number had increased to 1.56 million people. More than 700,000 of those arrests in 2014 were related to marijuana. In fact, nearly half of the 186,000 people serving time in federal prisons in the United States are incarcerated on drug-related charges. By September 2013, the incarceration rate of the United States of America was the highest in the world at 716 per 100,000 people. While the United States represents about 4.4% of the world's population, it houses 22% of the world's criminals. By the end of 2016, the United States had a prison population of 2.3 million, which is 0.7% of the population. To date, 31 million people have been arrested on drug-related charges, which is one in 10 Americans. It's pretty clear drug crimes have been the predominant reason for new admissions into state and federal prisons in recent decades. And... It would be difficult for anyone who lived under alcohol prohibition to imagine today's drug war-related violence. There's this uh, part of the prohibition, if you learn about it in history, you learn about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which is when seven alcohol trafficking gangsters in Chicago made international headlines in 1929. Seven people died in an alcohol trafficking shootout in Chicago in 1929, that pales in comparison to the stories that we read or the stories that we don't even read that still exist of today's drug cartels, regular kidnappings and murdering police and government officials, really horrible stories like people rolling severed heads into nightclubs and hanging bodies from bridges. Like 
Ooh. The violence is so frequent that each grisly incident is now become just like noise, like a blip on the radar, something that doesn't even get covered by the news. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just the insane mass incarcerations, the general violence and the people living in fear. Approximately 50 to 60,000 students are denied financial aid every year because of past drug convictions, usually marijuana. In addition, those who violate drug laws are penalized throughout their working careers. They have way limited job opportunities. Many employers are allowed to deny individuals a job because of prior drug offenses. And this has particularly strong implications for minorities and other historically disadvantaged groups who are way more frequently incarcerated at just insanely higher rates than, um, than white people. Black people and Hispanics, for example, are much more likely than their white counterparts to be arrested for drug crimes and raided, mm-hmm. even though both groups sell at similar rates. Yes. The monetary cost of the war on drugs has been insane. Since the war on drugs began more than 40 years ago, the US government has spent more than $1 trillion on interdiction policies. <sighs> Spending on the war of drugs continues to cost people who pay tax in the US more than $51 billion annually. Oh, good. Uh, I love that. Love that for me. Yeah. And its consequences don't stop at the US border. American-backed anti-drug operations in Mexico have resulted in some of the bloodiest years in Mexican history. Since the former Mexican president, Felipe Calderon, began using the military to fight cartels, more than 85,000 people have been killed in drug violence. Efforts by the US government to eradicate opium cultivation in Afghanistan not only failed to reduce global supply, but also empowered and funded the Taliban indirectly. (laughs) Oh, they're so good at that, though. They love to indirectly fund a regime. Just like, oh, oopsie, oopsie again. I do want to take a slight aside and talk about Daddy Biden for a bit. Daddy Biden! Yeah. Because Joe Biden has been heavily involved in pushing for the continuation of the war on drugs in the past and has been involved in some really, really bad policies that led to the insane amount of incarcerations that there are now, and especially um, the incarcerations of people who have a drug problem, who have an addiction problem. Treating an addiction as a crime. Yeah. The thing about Biden, like, this is not an excuse because this is literally what I feel like all of your leftist friends have been telling you for eight months, which is we're going to vote for Biden and then we have to, like, keep pushing. Like, the fight isn't over once we, like, if we get him to win, which we did, which is great. And I feel like we have basically, like, from now until, like, January 21st to just, like, maybe have a holiday. Uh, And then we start (laughs) pushing again. But so not to excuse that because I'm not excusing it, but to contextualize it with something that I think we've we've talked about on this podcast before is that I think this really insidious thing happens in American politics due in no small part to like our very fierce two-party bipartisan system, which is that whenever a politician can clamp down on like a quote-unquote bipartisan issue, then they'll they'll just drive as hard as they can at that, even if it's not something that they care about, because it's Mm -hmm. just the idea of possibly getting something passed and getting something passed with Democratic and Republican support. And historically, the things that have done that are, we've talked about this before, I know, um, being like tough on crime, like being like a person who's against violent crime. And we talked about how that just like leads to mass incarceration. I think that being tough on drugs 
especially maybe in the eighties and nineties and, you know, like luckily less so now. Um, but I think for a long time, that was a bipartisan, that was like an easy win. And then you would go hard on that. There was nobody who was going to like stand in your way in like the nineties and say, wow, actually I like drugs. And so you would just, you would just be able to get that passed. And then you could put your name on it and say, look what I got done. I get things done where I'm, you know, these people can't, but I can, I can reach across the aisle. And the thing that sucks about it. And the reason that you, that people like Joe Biden who did that and who did that strategy are absolutely culpable for their actions is because there was always going to be a human cost to that. There was always going to be a human cost to those political points, which are all people that you're incarcerating for a fucking joint. And like, don't tell me, obviously like Joe Biden and I belong to very different generations. I don't know. There's a lot of things that we would super have in common, but, um, but I know that like a man in his whatever fifties or forties in the nineties knows that like a 17 year old with a joint doesn't deserve to have their life destroyed, but it didn't matter because it was, it was easy political capital. And I do think that he needs to answer that the same way that I've, you know, said a lot publicly that I think myself and a lot of other women that are of a similar mind to me have really complicated feelings about Kamala Harris of just like, Mm -hmm. it's like our first female VP. That's like such a huge deal. It's a woman of color that means so much to me. I hate her record. I think her record scares the shit out of me. And I think there's a lot of things that she has to answer for. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I see the effect that her candidacy and now her position have on like much younger girls and women. And I'm like, well, as we always say on this podcast, like two things can be true at the same time, even if they're like really difficult. And who wants to really be that person that like takes candy away from a baby? And it's like, ha little girl, she's a war criminal. Like, so yeah, it just fucking sucks. But I, yeah, I, I think what's really fascinating and I think that this is kind of like a big part of what you're, topic is hitting on right is that Mm -hmm. it's like prohibition didn't work but for some reason it just became this shorthand for god what like 80 years now to be like well i'm actually like moral and good and i like fight for what's right and give me all the Mm -hmm. political and it's actually my job to do that on your behalf as well because here's the thing going back to 1933 even despite the great depression that obviously completely rocked america shortly after that the repeal of prohibition created thousands of jobs and reinvigorated the alcohol industry and earned millions of dollars in tax revenue. Mm-hmm. It shut off a major source of funding for organized crime and took violence out of the market. It's not surprising, right, that you haven't seen uh, any newspaper headlines recently about uh, Budweiser and cause distributors killing each other at, over stock. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really hear about that. And it only took 13 years for America to come to its senses, which in politics, I suppose, unfortunately, is... And not very long at all. Mm. But these drug laws have been around for decades. Yeah. The US war on drugs, like the stupid war on alcohol in the early 20th century, is a prime example of why prohibitive policies do not work. They end up always being a disastrous policy based on naked self-interest and repeated ignorance mm-hmm. on the part of elected officials and other people who are involved in policy making. Prohibitive policies lead to waste, fraud, corruption, violence, and death. So I was thinking about what we saw happen in Colorado when they legalized recreational marijuana. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which, like, I like the first thing I always think of is I always think of this, like, <laughs> this SNL sketch that came out, like, right after that happened, where Kate McKinnon played, like, a baker, and they were doing, like, a fake, like, you know, like, newscast about it, and they were, like, you know, 
Kathy Hornabaker has had like this pastry, <laughs> has had this pastry shop for years. Unfortunately, she had to close down during the recession of 2008, but she's been able to reopen after new legislation as like a cannabis-based pastry business. And they were like, Kathy, how have sales been for you? And she goes, yesterday I made $800,000. These people are insane. And like, it was just so funny, but that really happened. Like people made People became millionaires overnight in Colorado when marijuana became legal. But you know who didn't get to become millionaires overnight? People who were already good at selling marijuana because they had been doing it. (laughs) Because if you had ever been convicted of illegally selling marijuana, you were never, you were banned forever from getting a legal marijuana selling license in Colorado. And so it absolutely disproportionately affected Black people and people of color, like you mentioned. Um, Yeah. So basically, you know, a lot of white people came in and said, marijuana, see, and became like millionaires overnight. And then the people Mm -hmm. who had been selling them marijuana for the past 20 years uh, got fucked. That sucks. It was horrible. Yeah, uh, the legalization of marijuana made billions of dollars in tax. Yeah, which is funny because that's what like normal's been saying forever. People want to buy this? That's weird. Oh, yeah. That's the best part is that, you know, it's still federally illegal. So if you get stopped by like a state trooper or something, then you can still get in legal trouble for having marijuana. But the government doesn't mind profiting off of it. Right. Like, hey, thank you so much for that um, tax money. It's straight to to jail. jail. Straight to jail. (laughs) Straight to jail. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's my topic on sort of prohibitive policies, especially with a, a a focus comparison, if you will, of prohibition in the war on drugs. That's fascinating. I yeah, the war on drugs is fucking garbage. Uh I would love I mean, I would love for someone to make probably they already have and I just haven't found it yet because there's such an abyss of content out there. But if somebody right. did like a really good like deep dive podcast, like a you know, 15 episode podcast or something that was just like the history. Cause I know you know obviously that was a big part of the Reagan administration and it was Yeah incredibly damaging um eleanor yeah seven points for drugs oh thanks <laughs> uh three points because while you were talking connor brought me the bottle of tequila that was in our pantry oh congrats oh my god thank you so much and i've made a drink that is mm, undrinkable um <laughs> and you know what Three points for talking about the war on drugs, but not making me think about like Ronald Reagan's stupid face. Because you started with oh. Richard Nixon, which I did not know that he was the first one to kind of like start coin or like coin that phrase. So yeah, incredible job. This one's really fun. So we're going to protect the goat. Protect the goat. Protect the goat. I can't do it. It's not going to happen. So this started like so many bad ideas start for me on Tumblr. Uh, sure. When I saw a post that said, Zodiac sign, but tell me what happened to the Yavle goat the year you were born. And I was, as I often am, as a, as a woman of curiosity, I was like, what? I was intrigued. I was intrigued. So I looked this up. Uh, it's spelled G-A-V-L-E, but the A has a bunch of little funky stuff over it. So sure, sure, sure. I went to YouTube and figured, and found out that it's pronounced Yavle. Um, Yavle. I was like, fucking sweets, but fine. Uh, 
<laughs> so here's what I found out, and I am so in love with this. I cannot get okay. past it. So every year, starting in 1966, the people of Yavle, Sweden, make a Christmas goat. <gasps> They, it's this huge thing. It looks like it's probably about three or four stories tall. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So it's about. That's a big fucking goat. It's 13 meters, which is 43 feet for my, for my Yanks. Uh, seven, 13 meters high. So 43 feet high. So yeah, I was right. I was right about four stories, uh, 23 feet long. And it's a three ton goat. Although ton is spelled in the, in the European way. And so I don't know exactly how much that is, but it's a heavy ass goat. 13 meters high. Yes. 13 meters high, 43 feet. So (laughs) this little goat is very cute because it's just like this very kind of simple shape um it's like got like little like stubby legs that have ribbons on it and a little stubby like goat face and then it's it has like those long um horns you know that kind of go that wrap back around like to see cute Um, yes and so what they do is they make the horns connect to its back and that makes sort of like a little circle between its back its neck and the horns and that becomes like a christmas wreath very 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 cutesy okay here's where shit gets buck wild uh, the Yavlegut, which is a version of the Swedish traditional Yule goat, which is not a thing that I had ever heard of because I'm not Swedish. A Yule goat. A Yule goat. Do you know what a Yule goat is? I don't. Okay. So apparently it really is just like a thing that's in Scandinavia. And as far as I can tell, it's just, it's like, um, it's like Rudolph, maybe even not like Rudolph. Cause like, it doesn't seem to really have like a, um, a, like a story connected to it or as much of a story um they think that you know obviously like so many things that it might have like pagan origins that there might have been like okay. a god that it's sort of paying homage to that makes um, sense. you know there are like little cute stories sometimes people tell children about like a little goat that you know will go around and uh that like um what's his name like saint nicholas or like father christmas yeah. would like lead a little goat around when he would give presents out there's like another <laughs> <laughs> so like just like that's a, like whereas we have like santa and reindeer there's there's is just like a traveling man with a little goat oh a little goat I love and the it. goat is meant to symbolize saint nicholas's uh control over the devil so it's like like don't like which is like the most like fucking like middle ages like scandinavian should have ever heard which is like don't worry children father you cannot Christ- catch me i have a goat yeah father christmas will protect you from the devil look he's my friend i just he holds my presence what can i say and maybe that's part of why what happens next that's, that's what a sentence maybe that is part of why what happens next uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> Okay, so this goat, 43, meter, 43 feet high, it's made yeah. of straw. And every single year since 1966, with the exception of 12 years, it has been destroyed. Oh, what? Yes. And just to be clear, this is not part of it. Like, this isn't like a bonfire situation or like- It's what's not the, supposed to be. Yeah, the, what's the thing in England? Uh, like Bonfire the, night. Yeah, or like it was Guy Fox or whatever. Like yeah, the, when we burn the effigy of Guy Fox. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. isn't an effigy situation. This is a this is a sweet little goat that is meant to just be there for Advent, for like all of Advent, <laughs> to be there from November to New Year. 
But every single year, somebody tries to burn it to the ground, and they've been mostly successful. It's entirely illegal to burn this goat to the ground. It got to the point where, like, now the goat has 24-hour security. Oh, my gosh. It carries a three-month prison sentence if you burn the goat. To destroy the goat? If you destroy the goat. Other weird things have happened to the goat, but mostly it's ju- it just seems that collectively and without organizing, the Swedes have just decided <laughs> that they're going to burn this goat every year. <laughs> so <laughs> I found this table that explains uh, every year, like what security they had for the goat, okay. whether, or not, whether or not the goat survived the date of destruction and the method of destruction. Oh my gosh. And it's super great. So like I said, only 12 years between 1966 and 2020, the goat has only survived to new year's 12 times. Incredible. I thought for fun, just because like as a nod to the origin of me knowing about this, I would tell you about your birth year and my birth year because they're both fun. Great. Okay, so first of all, the year before I was born was one of the only times that it survived. But also, uh, the year before I was born is the first year that gamblers were able to gamble on the fate of the goat in England. So Oh, wow. (gasps) It's been a story forgotten that we can resurrect for Christmas. Oh, totally. So then it survived, which probably really irritated all the people that uh, gambled on it for the first time. And what year was that? What year was that? That was 1988. So okay. they were in luck because the next year it was burned down prior to even being assembled. So, no. so basically they were in the middle of building it and somebody burned it down. And then they gathered all these uh, donations from the public to rebuild it. Cause like everybody came together like the who's and we're like, <laughs> gosh, darn it. Let's rebuild this goat. Um, and then they burnt that one down too. Both of them got burned down. Oh my God. It survived in 1990, but it was guarded by uh, a volunteer army. Um, and then in 1991, uh, it was burned down again on uh, Christmas Eve. What? Yes. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Uh, Are there any? Please tell me some of your other favorites. Oh, we're on the same page. Uh, okay. In 1997, they tried, somebody tried to blow it up with fireworks, uh, <gasps> but it did survive. <laughs> In 1998, however, the very next year, it burned down during a blizzard. So it was already being This good is cursed. Oh, yes. It's so good. Uh, This one's also really fun and very sad. Uh, Maybe not very sad. Maybe very fun, a little sad. In 2001, an American was visiting Sweden and he was pranked. Prank! You know how the Swedes love their pranks. Uh, He was pranked by his Swedish friends who told him that burning the goat is a Swedish tradition and that it's perfectly legal, that it was an effigy. And he believed him and he set it on fire and was promptly arrested. At no point did he think, like, maybe there's a ceremony. No, 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 it's my job. I shall, alone, burn down this goat. I don't know how they convinced this kid. Or he's lying and he knew it was illegal but wanted to, you know, was being egged on. Uh, But either way, he, rather than, since he was, you know, a U.S. citizen and he kind of 
had plausible deniability. He got to serve a three-week sentence instead of a three-month sentence Oof. and then return home in disgrace to the United good States. Lord. This is really good. I'm going to read this one verbatim because it's like, I just love how serious this is. <laughs> so in, this is what happened in 2008. Okay. 10,000 people turned out for the inauguration of the goat. No backup goat was built to replace <laughs> the main goat should the worst happened, nor was the goat treated with flame repellent. Anna Ostman, spokesperson of the GOAT committee, said the repellent made it look ugly, like a brown terrier. (laughs) So they were like, no, we're not doing it. And then on 26 December, there was an attempt to burn down the GOAT, uh, but passersby managed to extinguish the fire. The the following day, the GOAT finally succumbed to the flames ignited by an unknown assailant. What? Why does everyone want to burn this GOAT down? That's what I'm saying. So it's not just like... It's not just like maybe there's like a protest or something. It's that like if you live in this town during this period of time, you just have to constantly be on alert. I was like, oh fuck, fucking goats on fire again. Someone's gonna burn that goat, and then somebody else will set it on fire. What? Oh my god! There must be some sort of secret goat burning club. Oh totally. Uh, I believe there were a couple times where somebody. uh, I don't have any more data on this. It just says in 1983 the legs were destroyed. Okay. Not really sure. Uh, in 1978, it was kicked to pieces. <laughs> I don't know how you kick a 43-foot goat to pieces, but it happened. I, uh, k- kicked to pieces. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. Just kicked <laughs> right to pieces. I had to, like, check out this table. So I'm looking, I'm looking at this page. Uh-huh. And I'm losing my mind because... Yeah. <laughs> At the bottom, it says, see also, baby Jesus theft. (laughs) I know. (laughs) See also, baby Jesus theft. Like, Um, this is, this is truly, like, in, like, the great balance of the universe, this is the equal and opposite of Lil Sebastian. (laughs) This is, like, Lil Sebastian was a horse but small that everyone in the town loved, and this is goat but big that everyone in the town needs to destroy. (laughs) For no reason. Go but big. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely insane. So that is the story of the Yala goat. Uh, cannot wait to see what happens to it here. Oh, because this is the best part. This is how I wanted to end it. So like I said, only 12 years has this goat survived. But three of those 12 years were the last three years. And I have a theory. My theory is that my theory is that after 2016 everything started to become so bad that like people's desire to just destroy the goat for no reason like they all like spontaneously just like lost the will like can you imagine it's like 2020 and the things that are happening are happening and you just see that goat and like your friend Sven is like oh should we burn the goat and he's like are things bad enough already Everyone's already kind of bummed out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. Do I want to be the guy that burns the goat in 2020? Anyway, I'm very like now is the time. Advent has begun, I believe. So is the goat there? Is there like a is there a goat cam? Goat cam. Here we see 2020 goblet goat. Let's do this in real time. Webcam. Visit Yale. Oh, it is so cute. I cannot get past just like the Aww. cuteness of its little shape. Why was 
I mean, I do kind of get it. <laughs> you just like want to burn it down. Like you, when you have like once, like you scoop up Mamba in your arms, right, and then you yeah. get that little like intrusive thought that's like just so cute. I want to squish you into a paste. Oh my god! Oh my yes, I do I wanna... know exactly what you're talking about. I need you to know that I just found the Yafla Goat uh, Instagram account. Oh my god! And it's pictures of the goat, and people just keep responding with little fire emojis. <laughs> she she's gone, folks. She's gone. <laughs> my mind. <laughs> somebody's like, somebody's like, you are the king of goats, and then someone else is like, still standing. <laughs> oh That's my god! Crazy. There is a webcam somewhere. People people keep referencing it. I'm trying to find it. I cannot. We really, really couldn't have taken an opposite turn on this week's episode. It's been quite the helter skelter. It's true. Hold on. I'm sending you right now the link to the Instagram post where it's like the first six comments are just people with doing fire emojis. And it's like so sweet. It's just like it says the the caption from the goat is can't get enough of me stream my show again and again and again and then everyone's just responding with fire (laughs) but the little goat i know but you but why did they make it like it's the thing is that like they have had like it's been since 1966 they've had like 40 something years (laughs) to just make it out of metal like why you keep making it out of straw because it's part of it it's just i know i guess like i don't understand i've i cannot get over the the fire emoji it's i'm losing <laughs> i'm like going feral i'm having a moment <laughs> okay well let me give you your point okay please chelsea yeah how many times did you say it survived 12 times let's start with 12 points <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna start with 12 points he's so gosh darn cute three more points I know, I want a little um, tattoo of him. I am going to take off two points because um, I can't translate this website and so I can't find out more about him. I know, if any of our Swedish friends can help us find the Yavle Goat webcam. <laughs> oh, we'd be forever indebted. It's true. Two very different tones, very different vibes. Thank you for bringing it to a cuter and more Christmassy place. Of course. And I think that... Uh, regardless of the points that I no longer remember, I'm going to give it to you this week. Aww. You win. That's gorgeous. You, you and your goat. Me and my goat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of What? Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram or Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, Facebook and Redbubble. And you can find our website at those two girls.club. And please do come and say hey. Come and, and say hey. We hope you join us next week. And in the meantime, I don't know, um, go learn something. Keep it loose. Keep it tight. Say them present night. Yes, I loved it. <laughs>